I'm Adele Last and this is the news for week commencing 20th of November 2023. The latest labour market data confirms a softening of the job market, although conditions remain buoyant in historical terms. Online job advertisements at the national level decreased in October 2023, down by 3.8% or 10,400 job advertisements to stand at 261,200. This was the largest single month decrease in job advertisements during 2023. Furthermore, job ads are at their lowest since December 2021. Rises in the Northern Territory up by 3.2%, WA 1.4% and South Australia 0.9% did not counterbalance the falls in job ads recorded in the other four states and the ACT. Victoria recorded the largest decline with 7.1% month-on-month fall. By occupation group, the largest job ad declines were among labourers, down 7.7%, followed by community and personal service workers, down 7.3%, and sales workers, down 6%. The unemployment rate for October rose 0.1 percentage point to 3.7%, on the back of the number of unemployed workers actively looking for work rising by 38,000, according to the ABS's Labour Force data release last Thursday. The participation rate rose from 66.7% to 67% and monthly hours worked in all jobs rose half a percent. The RCSA has announced the successful candidates for the National Board and the various state and territory councils following recent elections. The National Board sees three new members. David Stewart, FRCSA, Alliance Australia. Catherine Amahani, OnQ Recruitment and Jason Elias, FRCSA Elias Recruitment. Stuart, O'Mahony and Elias are all based in Sydney. Employers across Australia see job hopping as the biggest red flag in job seekers, according to a June 2023 survey of 300 hiring managers by Robert Half Australia. The second most concerning warning was unrealistic salary expectations, followed by not holding the required qualifications, then requesting to work from home most of the time, with listing vague job descriptions and inconsistencies with LinkedIn in fifth and sixth place, respectively. Japanese staffing giant Persol, owner of local brand programmed, last week reported revenue for the first six months ended 30 September 2023 increased by 7.8% compared to the same period the previous year. Adjusted EBITDA declined by 19%. Persol staffing segment was up 7.4% and the APAC region grew sales 6%. Industry News Service shortlist reported Brisbane headquartered Davidson Group grew revenue 5% year-on-year for the year ending 30 June 2023 to reach $239 million. Contract and temp revenue was up 4%, permanent placement income was up 10%, and consulting income grew 33%. Group net profit after tax dropped 36% to $5.5 million. Davidson had 176 employees as at the end of the 2023 financial year. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, estimates that the jobs most at risk from the new wave of AI are those with the highest wages and that someone in an occupation that pays a six-figure salary is about three times as exposed as someone making $30,000. Diminished demand for and earnings from some white-collar jobs is already a reality. 
In a study published earlier this year, US researchers showed that within a few months of the launch of ChatGPT, copywriters and graphic designers on major online freelancing platforms saw a significant drop in the number of jobs they got and even steeper declines in earnings. This suggested not only that generative AI was taking their work, but also that it devalues the work they still carry out. Most strikingly, the study found that being more skilled was no shield against loss of work or earnings. A man has been crushed to death by a robot in South Korea after it failed to differentiate him from the boxes of food it was handling, according to South Korean news agency Yonhap. The incident occurred when the robotics company employee in his 40s was inspecting the robot. The robotic arm, confusing the man for a box of vegetables, grabbed him and pushed his body against the conveyor belt, crushing his face and chest. He was sent to hospital but later died. According to Yonhap, the robot was responsible for lifting boxes of peppers and transferring them onto pallets. South Korea has the second highest density of industrial robots in the world after Singapore. The 2023 Global Power 150 Women in Staffing list was published last week by staffing industry analysts and it featured one Australian woman, London-based Sandra Henke, who is the Global Head of People and Culture at Hayes. In its ninth year, the list highlights 100 women from the Americas and 50 globally who have made significant contributions to the success of their companies and the workforce ecosystem. A Queensland Institute of Technology graduate, Henke joined the Hayes ANZ training team in 1997, rising through the Hayes local leadership ranks, ultimately reaching the role of Director of HR and L&D, the Hayes ANZ. In 2012, she moved to the UK to take up the role of Director of People and Culture for Hayes UK and Ireland. In January 2016, Henke was promoted to the Executive Leadership Team as Global Head of People and Culture. Henke previously made SIA's Global Power 150 Women in Staffing list in 2019, 2020 and 2021. No Australian-based women have made the 2023 list. Frontline employees are the most unhappy, poorly supported and least trusting of leadership, according to a just-released employee experience report. Qualtrics surveyed 36,872 full-time and part-time employees across 32 countries and 28 industries in July this year and reported that the five major trends were 1. Employees would rather AI assist them than manage them. 53% of engaged employees reported being comfortable with AI compared to just 30% of disengaged employees. 2. Frontline employees are the most unhappy cohort at work. They are significantly less happy than non-frontline employees when it comes to pay and benefits, career development, work processes, and trust in their leader. Three, the new job honeymoon phase has vanished. Employees with less than six months tenure have the lowest intent to stay at least three years at their organisation. Four, employees don't mind if you monitor their work messages and emails. 80% of engaged respondents said they are comfortable with their organisation monitoring their emails, compared to 62% of disengaged employees. And five, a hybrid work structure is the best possible solution for the overall employee experience. One to three days in the office or at home lead to the highest employee experience scores overall across every metric, engagement, wellbeing, inclusion, and intent to stay. Five days in the office, however, leads to the worst employee experience outcomes across every metric. 
One in five employees confessed to being unfaithful with a colleague at work, according to a recent survey of 3,800 individuals in the UK by Rant Casino. The majority of affairs happen in the workplace, 25%, with work events, 21%, trips away, 14%, and meetings outside of work, 17%, also listed as places people strayed from their relationships. There's nothing new about affairs in the workplace, and if anything, it's incredibly common, said Laura O'Brien, spokesperson of Rank Casino. A place where everyone presents their best selves, takes lunches together, as well as regular coffee breaks, the workplace undeniably serves as a fertile ground for affairs to blossom. But are certain professions more prone to infidelity? The data says so. The company compiled a list of the top industries for workplace affairs. Sales executives ranked top with 14.5% confessing to infidelity. Teachers are next most likely to have an affair at work with 13.7% of respondents claiming this across teaching, training and education in general. Healthcare professionals followed at 12.5%. At the other end of the scale, according to the survey, only 0.1% of employees in science and pharmaceuticals confessed to an affair, followed by both media and legal, each at half a percent. Sydney contract recruiter Colin Kerr passed away as a result of a tragic accident on Melbourne Cup afternoon. Kerr was working at AXA Recruitment and Search, where he'd been employed for nearly three years. Previously, Kerr had worked at UNU Recruitment Partners for five years, talent two for nearly 10 years, Ambition for 18 months, and Morgan and Banks for five years. Kerr originally qualified as a chartered accountant with PwC in London in the late 1980s. Axar announced Kerr's passing via a LinkedIn post last Monday, stating, The impact Colin had on Axar was tremendous. Colin treated everyone equally with respect and care. He was passionate to deliver for client and candidate alike. Colin was key to our culture at AXA. His calm and slightly understated style offset what can be a hectic, task-focused environment. We will all remember Colin telling a joke and losing it in laughter before reaching the punchline. His big smile, sunglasses on his head and office treats will be greatly missed. Kerr is survived by his four children and his wife, Catherine. And you're up to date with the news for the week beginning the 20th of November. 2023. I'm Ross Clennett. Adele, our question of the week this week is, how relevant are Corn Ferry's 2024 talent acquisition trend reports, top six trends for the coming year? Let's go through these one by one. Sure. No surprise, Adele. Trend number one, AI. We've got <laughs> two parts under AI. AI and recruiters. AI will increasingly handle time-consuming recruitment tasks, such as AI-driven assessments and scheduling. And AI for candidates. AI will assist candidates by finding openings for roles they may not have considered, optimising their resumes and cover letters, and preparing them for interviews. All right, so what do you reckon about the AI aspects of agency recruitment in 2024? Are they likely to be a factor in Australia next year, Adele, or not? Well, I think you'd have to be living in a cave if you thought that AI wasn't going to affect recruitment in in any place in the world. So I think this one's not a huge surprise. 
that it will obviously take away the more mundane tasks for recruiters already has in a lot of cases across the world. But the interesting side of this one, I think, is the candidate side of candidates using AI more effectively, particularly in relation to updating resumes and making sure their applications fit for purpose. I think, again, probably not that unusual there. For sure. But this one, interestingly, around uh, preparing them for interviews, I do think there could be some work in that space that agencies could gain the benefit of uh, using AI in more detail to help them prepare candidates for jobs better. I certainly think the smart recruiters will be doing that rather than a lot of recruiter time spent preparing candidates for interview. I suspect they will use AI, chat GPT, to create a process that will effectively substitute for the recruiter. It won't be perhaps as good as the recruiter. In fact, actually, it might even be better. Um, <laughs> But I suppose the key thing will be, will candidates respond positively to that? Will they mind being briefed by AI compared to a human being? Okay. What's the next one, Ross? Second trend, uh, early career hiring. And here's what Corn Ferry says. There is a growing battle for workers who are fresh into the professional field. Employers are interested in the new ideas they bring and in and and in times of economic uncertainty, it's easier to justify bringing on people with entry-level salaries than hiring more experienced and expensive workers. Well, you think you know what I'm going to say about this one since my own business is built on this premise that you can bring in somebody and train them up and gain the benefit, as it says, of hiring someone at a low a salary without any preconceived ideas, without the baggage that they bring along and uh, and fill gaps and, and vacancies that might not have been able to be filled. So I'm a huge um, advocate of this and I absolutely think this is true though across uh, lots of industries where we are seeing people realising with such a skills shortage, with such huge skills gaps, we just have to consider people without the level of experience previously required for some roles and look at training and development and the benefits of that too in terms of bringing in somebody uh, somebody in the earlier stages of their career and investing in them and getting that loyalty back. I think that's a huge um factor in this one not just you know the saving of money but the kind of you know employee loyalty you gain from it as well i think the other thing and this relates to the first point with respect to ai is that early career hires are much more likely to be familiar with the use of ai particularly chat gpt and will have already learned how to use it while they've been a student or perhaps had some form of casual job And I suspect they're going to represent much greater value for uh, companies, recruitment agencies, than people who want um, much higher salaries, even though they're um, significantly more experienced. Okay. All right, let's look at number three, hiring for skills. Corn Ferry says, in 2024, it's your skills, not the pedigree of past employers on your resume that count. Instead of trying hiring instead of trying hiring initiatives to long sorry, I'll stop again. Instead of tying 
hiring initiatives to long-term strategic business needs many companies are hiring for and paying top dollar for the skills workers possess today, such as generative AI specialists. Job postings will focus more on specific skills instead of qualifications. What do you reckon? Well, that's, I mean, if any temp recruiters are listening, they will say, you know, definitely yes. You know, they will say that that's, I guess, the basis of temp recruitment at its core is that we are hiring and focusing on the skills element of what people bring. So, again, I think that one's probably no surprise as such. Uh, I'm not sure I I do agree with this one. I don't think that that is the case, though. I I think that people will still look at, um, you know, tenure and uh, and the quality of the previous employers and reasons for leaving. And I I can't see that changing so dramatically that you'd override that with the fact that, well, the person's got the skill, we're going to hire them. It doesn't matter if they came out of, you know, or had a bad situation with the last employer. I can't see that override it in my opinion Hmm. i i tend to see um, a greater acceptance of people not having a degree for roles and i'm i'm expecting that we're going to see employers focusing on a very small number of skills that are critical and are probably likely to be more flexible on a range of other skills. Yep, fair call. Although I think I, I think within recruitment specifically, and if we're talking talent acquisition um, internally, I have not seen any position advertised in years that didn't require an HR professional to have an HR qualification. And yet I remember um, early stages of my own career that there were many more positions where you could have been in the midst of study or had you know, lower level, not full bachelor qualifications and you could have got a job in HR. And so, uh, you know, there are some pockets, I think, in roles like that where it's just become the mandatory that it's, you know, or the norm that you have to have a full qualification. And that one always surprises me, you know, an entry-level HR person who's not really dealing with, you know, frontline IR issues and the like may not need the full qualification. So I think a difference by role. All right, number five, empathy regains importance. Corn Ferry says, many employees believe there is a decline in pandemic-era empathy from top organisational leaders. CEO-led return to office mandates are perceived as ignoring workers' personal commitments. What do you reckon? (laughs) I think we have to agree with that one. I think, yeah, I I mean, people have maybe been over... uh, you know, over having to make allowances. You know, I think, I think that one's probably true. Not not because it's right. Uh, I don't agree as such, but I do think post uh, COVID, people are tired. You know, there's a fatigue around having to make allowances around all sorts of things in the workplace, and so there's probably a tightening back to a bit more dictatorship-like environments where people are sort of saying that's the way it's going to be and we're not sort of stretching it for everybody. I don't know. That one's, yeah, a bit sensitive. Well, I think the uh, the end result will be based on the key workers. So are the more valued employees going to just effectively look for other work because they're forced back to the office, forced back to the office more frequently than they want. I think 
that's the sort of thing ultimately that 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 will drive it because if if you're just left with the very average employees because they've got less choice in the labor market then that may cause company or ceos to take a different view okay what's the final one final one relocate or resign corn ferry says as more leaders demand employees head back to the office there may be a resurgence in relocating for work hmm so this one's sort of saying if people who've moved away from the office during COVID because they could work remotely are now required to come back in, they may have to relocate to do that. And uh, pay more. Like I, I'm certainly reading articles where it seems that in, that candidates are sort of effectively demanding a premium to be working in the office four or five days a week. Well, this is obviously direct uh, impact of cost of living, of housing issues. I mean, that's going to be the biggest driver of this one. It's all good and well to say come back into the office now to an employee that moved out regionally, but if they can't find accommodation or they don't have a house to move back into within the city metro areas, that's just physically an impossibility, that one. Yeah. Have they missed anything, Adele, do you think, Corn Ferry? Is there anything there that you would add to that list as a hiring trend to look out for in 2024? I think that they may have overlooked uh, the impact around migration, in my opinion. I think that that probably needs to be mentioned as the changes to lots of visas start uh, having impact in 2024, and that's another whole conversation potentially for us. But, yeah, I think that one's overlooked, and that's going to have a big impact on the workforce, the number of migrants and in what areas we're allowing people to stay. I've got no doubt um, that's going to be a big factor in Australia. You are going to have, I mean, you're already seeing it, but it's going to be even more prevalent next year where you've got people coming into this country for work, obviously without Australian work experience. So are employers prepared to shift their mindset in terms of more uh, empathetically considering candidates who don't have Australian work experience yet have the skills or close to the skills that are necessary for the jobs that are advertised. Yeah, I think once upon a time it was this idea about a global workforce being about hiring people from over from overseas and bringing them here, and that was a pretty scary concept. But now with so many people already in Australia with with qualifications and skills and experience gained overseas, I think employers have to really look at, at those candidates more closely. And that's we've done a question of the week around this before, around why overseas experience is overlooked. So I think that's a definite trend that uh, I would like to see, if not, you know, I think it will start to rear up as we just have to address the fact that there are people here who can do the job that you need done, but yes, they gained experience overseas and how can we validate and credential that as relevant to the job? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, certainly very front and centre for Australian recruiters and I suspect m- maybe not quite to the same degree in other markets. Are there any others that you thought were missed out from? No, I, I, I think that's, um, that's probably covered it. I don't, I mean, they're really um, extensions of the points that are already made. Okay. 